This is Alex Pearson. Just met with him, spoke with him. He will be presiding over this budget on Wednesday. It's an important budget for the city. Uh, it's been a challenging budget year. I have advocated to ensure that we get this budget through on Wednesday. He's committed to being here, committed to speaking and, and voting for the budget that he has brought forth. John Tory is resigning um, soon. Alex Pearson with you on this Tuesday, oh, the 14th of February. And a very happy Valentine's Day to all you romantics out there, if you are still among us. Very romantic day, unless you're John Tory, and then uh, no amount of love is going to fix this mess. But uh, he's sure going to try, right? So he's not going to go quietly into the night. John Tory is resigning as mayor, just not until the John Tory budget is passed. And that may happen Wednesday, or it could take a couple of weeks. Satori is apparently willing to stick around until this happens because while he may not have his reputation intact, he still has those strong mayor's powers until he's not the mayor. So for now, until business is done, Tory is not leaving. So can you call a, a resignation a, res, a resignation if you don't actually leave? I mean, when was the last time in politics we actually saw a politician resign in disgrace and then, well, just keep doing the job? I mean, it's not generally how it works, but uh, it is allowed according to city hall rules. And uh, Don, John Tory can even change his mind if he wants and unresign, which would be, um, well, spectacular at this point, right? There are a lot of people who would actually welcome that. Several in council certainly have come out in support of uh, John Tory. Some are fighting for him to reverse course on the uh, resignation because they don't want to see the uh, chaos that his departure would leave with the $16.5 billion budget that is literally called the John Tory budget. This is a legacy budget, promising more money for cops, uh, more transit security, and a 7% property tax. The kinds of things that trigger the left and who have made very clear they don't support any of it. More taxes, less cops. And no sooner had John Tory taken to the mic on Friday that his critics... Pounce, certainly uh, Josh Matlow tweeting out, we cannot let what happened distract our focus from delivering improved budgets this Wednesday. And certainly Matlow's one of many who's made his uh, you know, mayoral ambitions clear for years. I mean, he is a guy who does want higher taxes and does want less police. He's a tax and spend lefty. And he will get a lot of support from those in the defund police camp. And those who think that, yeah, we can tax our way out of all these massive uh, debts. So... Tory is apparently leaving office, but not until this budget gets passed, which I guess could turn into a bit of a long drawn out affair minus uh, the staffer. And so on Wednesday, what will happen if all goes according to plan, which generally these days it's uh, not a guarantee, but, uh, but John Tory's still officially mayor. It will table his budget around 930 in the morning. Council will debate and pick apart and then uh, eventually vote on it. And either Tory will have enough support Wednesday and the thing passes, or opposition could vote to make changes and then it gets drawn out. Tory can still use that veto, those powers, and uh, if he gets enough opposition, he could override it. But nonetheless, it, it could be done tomorrow or it could be a couple of more weeks, which creates a bit of a pickle for those who can't really wait for John Tory to get out of the way. You know, those eyeing the mayor chair, they're going to have to make a, a decision. Either stay quiet, let Tory's budget pass unchallenged, you know, let him pack up his desk and leave, or 
get into a long, drawn-out fight that will create a lot of chaos and division that we do not need right now. Maybe risk a, maybe the public sentiment will soften on John Tory's office, Rob, and then maybe he could reverse course and uh, decide to stay. It's a bit of a stretch, but in politics, never say never. So we could see this play out in a few ways. Tory sticks around, forces his replacements to expose their naked political ambitions. You know, does a guy like Josh Matlow care more about fighting for warming centers, or is he going to sit on the sidelines and accept John Tory's budget as is because it will serve his political ambitions? Or is Tory principled in resigning quickly if he doesn't actually leave the job right away, or is he serving his own politics? I mean, some, some are saying, look, Tory lost the right to his power and his involvement in this budget once he admitted that he didn't social distance from his young staffer and resign. You know, some argue he doesn't have the right to pass a budget that he does not have to deal with the fallout of. For me, I'm of the camp, you know, he's the devil we know, so at least pass the best of the worst budgets and spare us uh, from those who would get rid of cops altogether in this city. And if not for the special powers, I suspect Tory would already be gone. You know, before this whole mess, he did have the ability to negotiate and uh, win support for the issues that he wanted to get passed, which is why they always passed. He would go around and wrangle up support on issues and then um, take them to a vote. But on Wednesday, you know, Tory's not going to be heading into those council chambers with the same swagger because that all disappeared the moment he admitted to uh, his, his failings. So it does look like his last order of business will be to use the special powers for a, a first and only time, which, look, he said he wasn't going to use them, so I guess he'll be keeping that promise. And Gary Crawford, uh, the budget, you know, City of Toronto budget officer, officer he's going to join me at 945 because he insists that John Tory must stay and that nothing in this budget can change at all. And so we'll talk to him because he's of the mind that he wouldn't have a problem if John Tory unresigned and stuck around. One of the items cut uh, out of the budget, and we'll talk about this in the, a little bit later in the show, one of the big problems that you don't really think about with budget is all the money needed to do repairs to our roads, which if you have hit a pothole lately, if it didn't swallow you whole, uh, then I don't need to explain to you how badly we need repairs. But this is an area that there have been pretty substantial cuts, and so the roads look like hell. They haven't been fixed nearly as much as they need to, and they're not going to be fixed. Uh, they're going to be like a patchwork work of fix in the next uh, little while because they need billions of dollars to do it. And the one thing about fixing roads, you don't want them cutting corners, which is what they did in Hamilton, remember, with the uh, Red Hill Creek Expressway and um, used compromised asphalt, and look what happened. Six or seven people ended up uh, losing their lives because it was failed. It was not done right. So, you know, you can't really cut corners on this, but the more we don't repair the roads, the worse they're going to get. These, these fixes are going to cost us way, way more down the road. Not to mention what it's doing uh, to your car, uh, your bike. And uh, we'll talk with a, a gentleman a little bit later who is part of uh, fixing these things because they're warning, look, it's going to get a lot worse if we don't get, and it's like over $2 billion. So that, that's not... That is not going to happen. So it's going to get a lot worse. And so these are the kinds of decisions that are being made 
you know, we've got the fight over warming centers, we've got the fights over shelters, there's all these different fights. And so we're going to see displayed, I guess, on Wednesday, a council that is either going to continue to chip away and fight these fights and see John Tory's resignation, non-resignation, still sticking around resignation as an opportunity to fight him on this stuff, um, maybe thinking that he's going to leave soon, or they'll just uh, let it go through and park their politics and, you know, take the loss for now, knowing that they could maybe get someone elected who's on their side. Which, well, I don't think is what we want, but that's just me. During the pandemic, I developed a relationship with an employee in my office in a way that did not meet the standards to which I hold myself as mayor and as a family man. As a result, I've decided that I will step down as mayor so that I can take the time to reflect on my mistakes and to do the work of rebuilding the trust of my family. Well, that was uh, Friday night. Friday night were those words by the mayor. But the mayor is not resigning quite yet. He's going to be sticking around for this budget. So why is he so determined to get this through? I mean, we already know that uh, property taxes um, mixed in with a levy will be 7%. We know money is there for police, TTC security. Uh, we also know things like uh, water will be going up by 3%. So another uh, $29 a house. Garbage will go up 5 to $16. Transit. Another 10 cents a ride. But we got a lot of debt. We got a $1.1 billion pandemic debt and another $484 million deficit carried from last year. So, look, the province has said it's going to help. It still has not written the check, as far as I know. And we've had nothing but silence from the Fed. So, Mayor Tory's exiting, we think, uh, with a lot of questions left to answer as to, like, where is all this money coming from? Because Tory ran on having these relationships. So, who negotiates this now? Gary Crawford is the city council for Ward 20, Scarborough Southwest, and he's also the budget chair. Busy t- days for you, so thanks for joining us. Oh, much appreciated. Thank you for having me. All right, so you've been pretty unequivocal in your support of the of, of Tory, Mayor Tory, um, staying and pushing through this budget because you feel it's the right budget. A lot of people will say, look, he's no longer got that authority and it should be left up to council because ultimately council will deal with the fallout. Eric? Yeah. Yeah, listen, I, I do recognize, um, you know, the thoughts of some people, but when you look at, you know, the role and the important role that he plays as mayor, this has been his budget. He has crafted that uh, with a lot of staff, a lot of input from councillors all over. For the last 10 months, frankly, uh, we've been working on this, and it, it is a budget that is important. Um, it is the most difficult, I'll be honest with you, uh, nine, eight years doing this, my ninth budget, the most difficult challenging budget we've had for the exact reasons that you mentioned. Um, when you're looking at trying to balance, when you're looking at the $933 million that we really need from the other two levels of government, this is the, the, the COVID impacts. Um, so you still need, you know, the strength of, of a mayor who has negotiated over the pandemic successfully with the other two levels of government, the ability to, to recognize that a partnership is needed. Uh, we can't do this alone as a city. We can't rely on property taxes alone uh, to fund the important parts of what keeps this city going. Um, so we do have a budget that's before us, and it is challenged because you're right, there's a $933 million ask of the other two levels of government. <clears throat> From my perspective, Mayor Tory is the one and only person who think I has that ability to negotiate that with the government. But and, if he's not here, how does that happen? I mean, he's, he's, he ran and saying, look, a big, a big part of the budget is, is this big hole that has to be filled. But if he's not there to negotiate and keep uh, pressuring the feds and the province, uh, who's doing that? 
Well, well, exactly. Um, I mean, I have been uh, out. I have asked the mayor and a number of us have asked the mayor to reconsider his decision. We recognize uh, I cannot condone the behavior, uh, nor should we. But what we have asked, and this is a decision he needs to make with his family, because his family becomes first. This is the first thing he needs to look at. But when you're looking at, you know, his passion and his love for the city and the role that he's played, if there's a path to forgiveness uh, with his family first, and, and the residents of this city, um, and he's considering doing this, I would be supportive of that because his work is not done yet. Our work as a council is not done yet. He's been an incredible leader, an important part of that. And we need a lot more. There's a lot of work to do over the next number of years, and I think he'd be critically important. If he decides, you know, that he, you know, it's best for him and his family not to proceed, we're going to have to figure that out as a council and as a city. And, uh, you know, he brings stability, and that's something we're going to have to figure out. Right. So we're going into a budget uh, vote or, or, you know, procedure tomorrow based on a bunch of ifs, because I have a hard time thinking that John Tory uh, would reverse. Having said that, it's politics Mm -hmm. in 2023. We don't know. But if he doesn't come back, where is that money going to come from uh, if it's not coming from the feds or the province? So what we do have, again, recognizing technically and legally, we do have to balance the budget. So though we have a $933 million challenge, what we have is we've defined it, the CFO has defined it as a backstop. So we have put away funds. Now, these are funds that if we don't get the money, we're gonna, it's, they have been directed towards capital work um, over the long term. So if the funding doesn't come from the other two levels of government, we will be able to balance the budget next year, which is 20 and 23, um, using this backstop. It's a one-time, it's, it's like having a rainy day fund. Uh, once it's used, once it's gone, it's gone. But we won't be able to use it for the important infrastructure work we have to do around. So we do have that option and opportunity. Um, but we will have to have some serious conversations with the other two levels of government about a new kind of plan about funding this city, the largest city in, in Canada. And that is something that we need a strong leader to do, whoever that happens to be. But that's going to be, and we all agree, left, right, wherever we happen to fall politically, that we need a new deal for the city and I think we need to figure out best how we find and how we do that to achieve you know stability in the city. Yeah look we needed a funding formula done a long time ago and that would have been a big legacy for uh, Tory if he could have gotten that down. Having said that we are where we are. Uh, could we put off um, you know rehabbing the gardener? I mean that is uh, provincial jurisdiction. Why don't we let the province pay for that? But you know we have roads where if you drive in the wrong hole your, your car is destroyed or your bike is destroyed let alone uh, what else is happening. We're not able to do basics of the city. Absolutely. And, and again, we, we've come through a pandemic. It has been challenging, no doubt. Um, there's been options. So when you're looking at the gardener option, um, when we and, and we'll, we'll have a report later on this afternoon that will suggest that with all the money that all the sunk costs that have gone into it, all the costs that we would have to pay contractors that we've already let. Um, in fact, it, there will be no savings. It'll actually cost us money. Um, and so there's, there, there's no ability. I mean, we've already asked the, the you know, the problem. The best case scenario is, is to have the province take over this along with the Don Valley, um, because it's really, you know, their jurisdiction when you're looking at highways, they haven't done that. So it, it's a, uh, it's a cost that we have to, to deal with, but, you know, I'm hoping, you know, that we will be able to manage figuring out, um, you know, who's responsible for that. If the province could take it over, that would be great. And that's something we, we need to, but if not, then we do have to, you know, maintain the gardener right now. There's $1.9 billion of work that needs to do just to keep the thing up and to maintain it. 
Um, and that's kind of where we're at. And we've had this conversation easily eight or nine times over the last 10 years. Uh, each time we come back saying, you know, it's an important part of the infrastructure of the city. As much as we don't feel we should be paying for it, we need to figure out how we keep it. Yeah, well, uh, there's lots of things we need to keep, including police spending and all the rest of it. But you're going up against many on council who don't want that. Having said that, in the conversations you've had with uh, with Mayor Tory, has he signaled that he is thinking about staying? Well, again, that's a that's a personal decision he has to make. Uh, as I said, a few of us have um, you know asked him to reconsider. He he needs to sit have a conversation with his family. That's as I said, and I'll repeat, it's the f- most important part of what he wants to do. Does he love the city? Of course he does. Um, and you know that's something he's going to have to to figure out himself along with his family. Um, and that's a decision he says. So I, I don't know, um, but I know I have received uh, dozens, if not hundreds. Of emails, phone conversations with people about wanting him to stay, and I, he's heard that from a lot of Torontonians. Um, but again, you know, I can't condone the behavior at all. What happened happened, um, and we need to. He individually and us as a city need to figure out how to move forward. Stay tuned. All right, busy times ahead. Appreciate your time on this. Thank you very much. Thank you. That is uh, Gary Crawford, who is uh, not just a councillor but also the uh, budget chair for the city. So. Tomorrow morning, 9.30, we expect that uh, John Tory will present this budget. We will have coverage of this, and we'll see how the day goes. Either it will be done by about midnight. These are the days I'm so thankful I don't have to cover City Hall. Oh, thank you. Albeit tomorrow might be interesting, because it is the first time John Tory will be going into those council chambers with a lot less swagger. Let's be honest. So we'll see how it goes. Will it be a smooth sailing kind of day budget pass, or are we going to see some dramatics and hold this over? Or is the mayor going to... Reverse course. Alex Pearson, weekdays at 9. We are 640 Toronto. Obviously, there is some sort of pattern in there. The fact that we are seeing this uh, in a significant degree over the past week uh, is a cause for uh, interest and and, uh, uh, close attention. There you go, the Prime Minister. Speaking out on Monday about these balloons, the United States not so quick to pick uh, pick up on his narrative of this pattern or what's happening with these uh, things in the sky. But they do they do believe so far. The belief is that these uh, items in the sky are balloons that are part of a Chinese surveillance operations directly linked to China's military. And of course, uh, we've been seeing them over the skies of North America over the last couple of weeks. China, of course, calls them weather balloons. You know, and they're now in a a war of words with the United States accusing the U.S. of violating their airspace. Uh, But what seems clear in this very unclear uh, chapter right now is that uh, there is no giving the benefit of the doubt with these things. When they're spotted, they're now going to be downed in these joint operations by NORAD, which is uh, new for us to witness I want to bring in Major General, retired now, Scott Clancy, who uh, served in multiple squadrons of the Royal Canadian Air Force in the Canadian Armed Forces as a tactical helicopter pilot. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you very much for having me. All right. So a lot of uh, we hear about NORAD. We just don't get to see it in action uh, very often. And so with what we're seeing, um, you know, we, we heard the prime minister come out and, and, and say that he gave the orders to shoot this thing down. I think it's it's a joint thing. It's not like we can just arbitrarily tell and give commands. But what happened over the weekend was something that uh, is very much unique in this world. Right. So when I was the uh, director of operations for NORAD uh, and General Venner, the current commander of NORAD, was my former boss. You know, it's a chain of command that is 
intertwined between Canada and the United States. So it's a, bi- a binational command, not just two entities that work alongside each other. It's actually fully integrated. And that allows for seamless decision-making on either side of the border. So, for example, you know, the, the object that was brought down in the Yukon, it would have been the Canadian national authorities, the prime minister, that was making the decisions as to whether or not that object was going to be engaged. That's in keeping with the sovereignty that Canada has over its airspace. Right. President Biden acquiesced to using uh, an American asset. What that meant was that the tactical commander, which would be a Canadian general, uh, was able to make the decisions as to whichever asset tactically best was suited for that would be able to, to, to take that shot. Quite honestly, if it hadn't been an American Raptor in the best position, he just would have used the Canadian jet. Right. And so a lot of people are wondering, like, how do we know that these are what we think they are? I mean, we know that the first one that was taken down, uh, now we've got the uh, recovery of it. And so we can categorically say this is a Chinese surveillance. They'll, you know, investigate and look into it more. Uh, We don't know what these other items are. And and so it becomes a question because they were much lower in the sky and then become a threat to um, civilian aircraft. And we might not find the one in Yukon because apparently it's in the middle of nowhere. But how do we know... Uh, what, what they're shooting down. Like, how accurate can NORAD be with its intelligence seeking on these things? Well, so that's, that's great. And, you know, the process that NORAD goes through when you have uh, a track or you detect something, first thing you're going to do is you're going to launch aircraft to go out and have a look and figure this out. Uh, now, you don't, I say probably, but because you don't launch all the time, that, that makes you kind of predictable to your, your enemies. But let's just say for the... For this instance, you know, you'd launch aircraft and you're going to go, you're going to see, is this a civilian aircraft? Is this a military aircraft? Is it a cruise missile? Is it a balloon? Is it an object? Is it a, is it a drone? That's going to give you some indications. Then you're going to have some correct characteristics via our radars and via what the pilots see, its speed, the configuration. Is it armed? What's its location? Where's it tracking to? Uh, and, and then if it's a manned aircraft, is it compliant with air traffic control instructions, fighters? Then what else around the world is going on? Uh, that might indicate something at this. All of this to feed uh, for each individual track an idea of to what these things are. So it became very clear, I believe, that when these items were intercepted, they are not a tactical military threat. So once that's been determined, you have time because it's not an immediate threat. But but it is a, a hazard in the case of these last three especially, it is a hazard to the safety of flight for commercial air traffic. So you're going to consider those bins of, you know, intelligence gathering, if I can monitor this to try to figure out what it is, as well as uh, public safety. And these are the factors that you consider in making a recommendation to the national authorities of Canada or the United States. Yeah, and certainly you would have to uh, clear the airspace uh, of, of planes um, and, and that such because you wouldn't want them to get in the way of this. But how often are, are flying objects a thing? Like, is this new, um, you know, area that we are in or is it just that we're noticing them now, that, you know, now? It's interesting that we say flying objects. <laughs> and I don't say that in an alien sense. I'm just saying it's something's oh, no. flying and it's an object. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, so what we would consider that to be is a track. You have a radar track, and, and then you're going to launch to investigate on that track. Well, all, you, all you have is that information. Depending on what level of sensitivity you are to that, you may or may not decide to launch on 
you know, those tracks. There's lots of air tracks that happen all over North America all the time. So it's not it's not just the radars on on Canada's periphery that NORAD is looking at. They're also getting the feed from NAV Canada's radars and the FAA's radars. And, and so they're looking at, you know, thousands of tracks all the time, trying to delineate that which is nefarious and that which is not can be a very difficult thing. So when, how often do we launch on tracks like that? You know, all the time. Mm. The, the Russians are doing incursions into our airspace uh, around uh, the periphery of both of our nations all the time. And, and they're not up there looking at the whales, yeah, you know, no. by the way. Um, so, so this happens on a routine basis. And on top of that, the NORAD Enterprise trains for events very similar to this, not on a weekly basis. Not on a daily basis, multiple times a day, right. the enterprise is walking through training on these exact kind of scenarios. So I guess if China's looking to find out how well NORAD works, they're going to get a, 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 a show. Um, and how hard? I mean, because it looks like when you saw that first balloon get taken down, it's like, shoot, uh, out of the sky, done. Everyone had fun with it. But how hard is it once you're rallied up there uh, to shoot these things down? But I think that's a, a great question. And I... I not being a fighter pilot, <laughs> it's an interesting space for me to be in to, to answer that, but I, I think it's somewhat complex. It's not as easy as just getting up close and personal. But first of all, they're moving very, very slowly. And, you know, in the case of the F-22 Raptors uh, that are, you know, intercepted and down the objects in both the Yukon and in Alaska, they're, they're moving at a very high rate of knots to, to actually shoot down something with a low radar cross-section like this, that's a tough go. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think the F-16s had a little bit of a tougher go of it in, you know, the Lake Huron. Yeah, it's fascinating. But given what your experience is, and certainly your colleagues, and, um, and the fact that, you know, flying things in the sky is not new, how concerned are you then about this particular chapter? Is it because we've already confirmed one, it's assumed they all are? Or how, how concerned are you? But I, I wouldn't. Use the word concern. <laughs> uh, I, I think the Canadians should take away two things. The first thing would be that you've got an enterprise called NORAD that perhaps many Canadians knew nothing about uh, other than perhaps that they track Santa uh, and now have a really good idea as to the, the benefits and capabilities that that well-honed and oiled machine can deliver in the security of Canadians and the continent. I think that should be reassuring to Canadians. Now, the next thing I would say is it needs to be modernized and you're dealing with some aging equipment, which was part of the problem here. So you have to get on with it. So, so, but let's move over to, you know, all of these objects at once. Should this be a concern to Canadians? Another part to this is I don't want to be concerned, but I would say to Canadians, don't be so naive. Yeah. Don't be so naive that we are just living beside an American brother that will take care of everything for us and that, no, we're a good nation and no one would want to spy on us or care. That, that's not that's not the case. Our adversaries or potential adversaries are coming at us all the time, uh, economically in our networks, cyberwise and militarily, uh, and and they have ill wishes. Uh, when I look at China and Russia specifically, uh, they they are ready to do just about anything to further their gains. And so I, I don't want Canadians to be concerned because I don't think there's been a change in that pattern, but they should be less naive. Agree on that one. They already consider themselves at war with the West, so uh, when they say that, we should listen. I'm out of time, but uh, wish I had more. Thanks so much for joining us. I appreciate it. Thank you very much for having me. That is a retired Major General Scott Clancy. Uh
who knows this well, this part of the world. And so uh, interesting conversation. And, and to his point, we've been asleep on this uh, for far too long. The threat has been here for a very long time. Nonetheless, it's not going to go away.